deck. Uh, Presuming. All right, welcome to week two, episode two of Steel Blade Showtime. I am your host, Brandon, here with my co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. We're uh, off to a great start. Uh, We slept late. This is a late recording. Uh, After getting a total of 11 hours of sleep yesterday, uh, split up a little bit. You know, just just a little bit of a comatose. <laughs> hey, sometimes you need those sleeps to catch up from a long week, which sounded like you did have when we were talking throughout the week. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of stuff at work, but that's not the fun part. Uh, the fun part was spending the day yesterday with dogs. <laughs> Uh, pets are always a good thing. I myself have my three cats, and uh, the one's always happy to see us. The one, she just kind of likes food, but she's she plays by herself, so it's kind of nice. I'll sometimes just walk, be walking around and hear this jingling of a ball that she plays with, so she's self-sufficient. And then the one just kind of hides in the basement, because the other one, for some reason, likes to bully him. <laughs> I mean, it's better than having an assassin cat. You know, the ones that you walk by and they are just leaping out to, uh, you know, depending on your cat, either playfully maul or actually maul uh, <laughs> your legs. Oh, yeah, my, I've, had, I've had both, but we were at my uh, father-in-law's last yesterday visiting before Christmas, and they have two cats, and then they have a like an outside-inside cat that. Like just started to come appearing to them the one day when they after they moved in and the what both of the inside ones are black and white the one's terrified so it just hides under the bed whenever new people are around the other one is a freaking menace she just hisses as soon as you get close to her and growls so <laughs> me being the person I am I'm running up to her trying to box her with like my sleeves so I don't get scratched. And just kind of chasing her around. But she would always come back and like look at me. And then I pulled out the laser pointer and played with her for a little bit. See, that's that's a great way to engage on their level. And also, like, what cat doesn't love a laser pointer? Uh, I don't think there's any cat in this world that does not see that laser pointer and go after it. You get to do anything with uh, Fab this week at all? Any Talishar? Any brainstorming? Anything? Uh, I, I got to do a couple of matches on Talishar. Um, nothing particularly interesting. Uh, ran into a kind of off-the-wall Phi build. Uh, he ran a fair amount of items, which, you know, could, could have some place. Uh, part of the problem for him was I was, once again, testing Arachne, uh, and... He was playing items like Amulet of Echoes, which is the uh, as an instant. If your hero, if your opposing hero has played two cards with the same name, you crack it and they discard cards. Arachne doesn't play things with the same name in the same turn. I'm playing at most like one card, <laughs> as it ain't gonna happen. Yeah, the most you'll even play in the same turn with the same name is if you have like a great hand, you might swing Spider Bite like twice. But that's about, I don't think I've ever ran into Arachne that's been like, here's a Slay the Scholar for 
so much and then crack their black tech whispers which is their leg equipment to give it go again if it hits and then play another one it's always either uh swing the weapon spider bite one of them for one and then follow it up with an attack it's rare i see the black tech's ability get used unless there's a big turn for them it seems yeah, most of the time I'm I'm not touching the black techs. Uh, I've realized in in most matches I only use them once or twice, and you know I'm hopeful that I'll land it when I do crack it. But honestly, I'm never terribly upset when someone uses a defense reaction to uh, to stop me from landing that hit, because that just means I have a good attack ready to arsenal. And you wasted your D-React on, you know, maybe it is that Slay the Scholars, uh, just to make sure I didn't get to do a second thing. I'm I okay with that. I don't know many uh, heroes that an Amulet of Echoes would actually work really well against. Maybe another ninja. Maybe uh, Katsu playing the new Crouching Tiger build. Yeah, because all of those Crouching Tigers, even though they're like ephemeral tokens, they are still cards. Uh, so that would absolutely force discards. They would have to kind of play out one of those turns and hope that you crack the crack the amulet uh, and hope that they can make it to their second like pop-off turn in order to go for the kill then uh, and hope you didn't find another amulet of echoes but the the other heroes that it it's kind of sneaky good against is rune blades oh yeah because uh, rune blades especially briar right now uh draws and plays so many cards that a lot of times you see like and especially with malvirian skies uh a fair amount of rune blades just play the rainbow set of it and since it's a zero cost go again, you're going to be spamming them out. So you get to force a weird bad turn or they lose momentum. I think with the Amulet of Echoes, though, it's one that you kind of want to play first and then hope the opponent forgets about. Because if they see that, I feel like they're going to be more smart and not play a card with the same name in the same turn. This is one of the reasons I actually really, really love the design of Amulet of Echoes, uh, is because even if they are seeing it and playing around it, that means they're probably having less efficient turns. So you kind of get like unspoken value out of it if they're playing around it. That's a, that is actually a really good point. Yeah, because... you. Even if they have two of the same card and are going to play around it, that is one less card you might be seeing that turn. So yeah, right. And if they if they save it for next turn, depending on the the hero, what are the odds they have that that card again in their next hand? Yeah, especially like with a briar, if they have a double channel Mount Heroic hand sitting there, they could always no. Now they have to play around it, so you might not see. So it might take an extra turn to get that second channel mount out. But I don't think they ever really play two in one turn. It's They have one out, and then the second one comes out. You get the turn with the first, and then it gets destroyed while the second one sticks around. Right. That That's usually going to be the, the right play. There's going to be very few 
good opportunities, I would think, to play out both channel mounts since they're what they're three costs. I want to say. Oh yeah, they are three. They're uh, uh, they're red. It's a red pitch. So generate one costs three. Uh, what's all attacks gain plus three, and you have to put a earth card from your pitch underneath your deck to keep it around. Yeah, yeah. So probably if you are making two channel mounts in the same turn, you're probably just throwing whatever was in your arsenal. Uh, yeah. You'd be better off playing one than even if something's a blue. Like one of the huge things about channel mount heroic is, hey, those blue cards are playable now. This this little zero for one, zero for two, uh, that's now a zero for four or five. <laughs> Enjoy. And you can arsenal that other channel, save it for next turn, and keep going. Okay, yeah. So you got the Fi. Any other like uh, fun items that they had in there? Uh, I saw the... Um... Amulet of Haven Call, I think is the the name. Uh, it, it's the one that lets you tutor out a Rally the Rear card to put on as a defending card. Okay. Uh, which wasn't. It never came up, really. Uh, so I don't know if it was just like a threat or if it was just another card that you know they shouldn't really be playing against Arachne. Um. What, rally the rear guard is that when it defends it gains defense or you have to pay to boost defense uh you have to discard a card to boost defense so it's just basically a worse brothers in arms where you can pay one to boost the defense by two for brothers right like the the advantage of it like it was one of those cards that's kind of just designed for draft yeah uh, because if someone's coming in with a like big dominated attack, yeah, you only defended with Rally the Rear Guard, but you can discard a card, doesn't count as defending, to boost that up. So it's fine, but there's way better options, especially now if you're going to add it to an actual deck. Yeah, now like we just said, have Oasis too. Yeah. It's not even a defending card, it's just per pitch one... Play it, uh, prevent four damage from target card, and you gain one life if you have less life. So that's just in. Oasis is inherently a good card that should have probably been a majestic. Like, I'd think at least a rare. Um, but I'm also not necessarily against. Like, I, I know I hate it for the. Uh, for how it shattered my boy Kano and his wildfire pop-off turns. But, and I, I will beat this dead horse over and over because uh, it has, in fact, wounded me. But I, I think overall for the meta, uh, its existence as a common is really good because I think for the, for the game to, like, last not every good playable card should be expensive because if that starts to happen and we start getting decks where like like right now we we see a huge amount of decks running command and conquers the the classic 
two cost, six power, three defense in red, that you can't play a defense reaction to it, and if it hits, they lose their arsenal. Uh, huge, huge card. Super prevalent. Uh, it's also running for around $90. Yeah. And if you want that full playset, that is a massive roadblock to new players. And so having cards like Oasis Respite at common, like, yeah, they're like in this example, they're not filling that same niche, but it is something that you can add to your deck that gets huge value while being a bulk bin card. And I love that for the longevity of the game. That is very true. And the one, like, don't get me wrong, Command and Conquer is a great card in general. But the one nice thing is while the budget options don't have the same effect on them, there are some decent budget options you can play, like Erase Face, which is a $10 card. And it, same thing, it's a red uh, cost to. It blocks for one less, so it attacks for six, blocks for two. On hit, it disables basically everything in your opponent's deck and just makes everything a generic. And there's there's some heroes that don't much care about it. Uh, Like Warrior. Uh, Most cards in Warrior decks, and I'm struggling to think of if there are any, uh, outside of Bolton and his things caring for light cards. Yeah. but the, the warrior class itself usually says target weapon or your next weapon attack. Uh, not necessarily calling out warrior, but I, I ran into this on uh, when I was playing Arachne. Uh, I took an erase face because like, it'll be fine. Like, what do I do that cares about it? And then and I shuts looked at my hand and text. read the cards. The, the, the black text, the Mask of Perdition, uh, and also the thing that killed my turn that I, I wasn't paying attention to. Uh, cut to the chase. Oh, uh, yes. And, and shred. Only for assassin attacks. Uh, so I kind of shot myself in the foot by not reading the card. But th- there's a couple of classes that are kind of sneaky that uh, like you're, it'll hit harder than they'd realize. Yeah, you've, you're just, you don't block it because you're like, oh, this doesn't affect me, and then your turn rolls around and you're like, oh, this really affects me. Because, right, because you, you play out your, your deck thinking, yes, these cards just do what they say on the tin. You're not really paying attention to which cards say, like, call out class names. Yeah, so like, and like I know against Fi, it's amazing if they're on the draconic one because all of a sudden he doesn't have draconic his ability is costing three no matter what can't mm-hmm. swing the ember blade on a go again and i that has saved me a couple times actually yeah it it turns off so much of draconic Fi's abilities because more than you would think you can't do a phoenix flame that's just zero yeah just zero uh you're like a, a fair amount of them check for like he's got like a, a cycle of three or something that are when this hits uh banish card from your hand and that target that you're banishing from hand to gain some value whether it's cost less deal one more whatever the case may be the target has to be a card with cost less than the number of draconic links 
that you have. Yeah, so like everything has its like ability to where it'll shine and where it won't shine. Like against so like if you think Iceland or Race Face might hurt her a little bit with the ice stuff and not being able to fuse, but a lot of times that stuff's gonna come in before you like you're gonna play it and they're gonna do everything before you do that and before it hits. Whereas and like same thing with Command and Conquer against her. If it's a blue in Arsenal, it's she's gonna play it before the Command and Conquer can fully resolve, where Command and Conquer just becomes a two cost for six attack. Which is still fine rate. You know, it's it's not terrible. No. Uh, and the fact that it blocks for three is still solid. Definitely. And like uh, with me playing it in Levi, it's another six that I can discard, along with a raise face, which is also a six I can discard. So I play both and for me, it's just inherent, like, no matter what it's doing, it's in value in my hand. Yes. Yeah, it is very solid for uh, for Leviah. And, I mean, any brute. But the... Uh, it, it also is a great card against brutes. Just to, to go over that real quick. Uh, it's like Barrage and Beatdowns and so many of the brute buff cards. Uh... They specifically check for, hey, your next brute attack. Yeah, so like a blood rush bellow becomes nothing that turn because you don't have any brute cards for it to buff. Yeah, exactly. Like a race face is so so powerful against so many decks, and then the decks that it's not, it's just a fine card. It's not great. It's fine. So I probably mean, you side it out, but depending on the matchup, like maybe like like for Leviah, you just want to discard it, so you keep it in. Yeah, or even like, even if it doesn't have any like on hit value, if I have like, if I can roll like a th- th- uh, six on scab skins to give myself three action points, all of a sudden you're seeing like here's six damage from this first card, and then maybe here's five damage from whatever weapon I'm using, maybe the meat axe, or maybe it's six coming from Hexcore. And then all of a sudden, here's another six coming in from a race face. At that point, I've most likely ripped your hand out where the on hit won't matter, but I'm presenting 18 damage in a turn, and your hand is probably non-existent at that point where I can possibly just keep steamrolling. Right. Like that's what's so great about those big power attacks, is that you can just keep applying pressure. So, this week, oh, I'm sorry. Was there anything else uh, this week you wanted to talk about that you did? Uh, I, I think the only other thing is I think what you were just about to say. I got super hyped for the announcement that we got. Yeah. But before we get to that announcement, this week I actually I started posting in the Flesh and Blood Reddit. And my very first post actually got a lot of traction. And it was, you know, who did you start on and who do you main now? So, as we said last week, I started on Old Him, now I'm on Bravo, more Leviathan now. But... It got... I had like 90 comments on that. All just, you know, people say... And it was about who they started on, who they're on now, 
and it was a really good conversation starter. And one of the things I wanted to ask you in that was a couple people said how they're on Kano, and I just asked them, you know, brainstorm a regular build, you know, and I joked around. I was like, you know, my my buddy said, you know, Kano's dead to him because of Oasis, and they said, has he thought about using Imperial Ledger to call Oasis on your pop-off turns? So that's what I wanted to ask you was, um, have you ever thought about trying the Imperial Ledger for that? So I hadn't actually considered it until uh, after a recording last week. I had seen someone mention that, and I ha- like it is so interesting that this card that when I first saw the reveal went, well, that's a uh, it's kind of lackluster. Like you kind of need to know exactly what's in their hand, so you got to be draconic. But with Kano, you don't. You just say, uh, yeah, no, I want you to not use Oasis Respite. Uh, and then whether they had it or not, they have to play their turn like before it existed. Yeah. So even if they don't have it, you're right there preventing a card that could stop your entire turn. You're just making it so, you know, that's even if you have it, even if you don't have it, it's not being used against me regardless. And now here's my pop off turn. And now the, the thing that I think is the most interesting about it, and the reason why I'm probably still not going to play it, is one of the things that you kind of learn as, as Kano is your opponents, if they know how to play against Kano correctly, uh, if they expect the pop-off turn is coming, which Imperial Edict just says... Next turn, I'm popping off. Be ready. Your opponent can choose to do nothing. They can end their turn. They will have a full hand of resources. Uh, Now, you get a single opportunity to decide to pop off. Uh, If you would like to pop off while they they still have a full hand of resources, nothing in the game says they have to do an action. They don't have to pay into anything. They don't have to spend any cards. They don't have to threaten you with lethal for you to pop off. So they pass priority. And if you decide you want to do something, you know, try your luck anyway, because this is this is your one turn without Oasis. If you do that, they have a hopefully for them, the gambit worked off and they have a big hand that they can just pitch a bunch into into Arcane Barrier. And maybe survive. Uh, and if you say, you know, I'm I'm not going to call your bluff. I, I think this is better off for me. And you wait. Uh, if you pass, then the turn's over. But if you pop off and they defend with stuff, uh, and, you know, you kind of stop your turn partway through because they uh, realized... Because you realize they're blocking too much of your arcane for it to really cascade through like you want your combo turns to do they can just continue their turn yeah uh priority has to be passed twice in order for uh the next phase to begin so just because you're declaring you're going to end phase doesn't mean you are locked into that decision Mm -hmm. if someone like kano decides to do literally anything you can say, okay, 
So then with my floating action point, I'm gonna... So Imperial Edict, I think the way to play around it correctly as as the person facing off against Kana, uh, pass your turn. <laughs> you know, you, did you pull an Imperial Edict in your dynasty? I don't think that I did. I was going to uh, say, I think I have one. Maybe it's something when we get together, maybe we can at least we can test out, maybe see what happens kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah, I, like, I always want Kano to be good because uh, he's just a, a crazy explosion boy in a world of, of swords. Uh, and I'm here for that level of insanity. But one so, day, one day, my son. So that happened. And then Wednesday, I actually went to an armory, which I showed up and I was like, hey, I'm here for, you know, flesh and blood. And the store owner was like, okay, cool. Uh, I actually got a lot of texts for people saying they couldn't make it. Uh, if you just want to hang out, you know, we'll give you some promos. If anybody shows up, we can get it running. You know, I was like, okay, cool. I was chilling. One other guy showed up. So we each got a Blessing of Aether, a Predatory Strike, and a shitty Xmas gift promo. And we just played, I think it was like three games of just, you know, like pickup games, which, you know, there's promos. Okay, I'll take uh, three promos just for coming and chilling. I'll take it. Yeah, that is such a good time and that's also like an ingenious thing for uh that host to do because it kept you to stick around in case other people were gonna show up because who knows maybe you get a last minute rush but also uh i bet you're thinking about going this week too huh a little bit it all depends um but they said it's like it seemed like the way the guy I was there talking to said it's like every other week is when they usually have the better events, um, and then so you know we played a couple games. I played first game was Bravo. He I played as Bravo. He played Arachne, and it was probably closer than it should have been. But I literally didn't block. I just kept throwing big attack after big attack after big attack. I think I swung Anathos twice with Terra Sunder. And, of course, I had two, three cost cards in my pitch zone, to which Anathos says, you have two there, alright, I get plus two attack, and then Terra Sunder says, give it plus one and dominate, and then on hit, discard two. So, Which is beautiful. Yes. So I think I did that twice. I think I, there was two crippling crushes, one dominated, one non-dominated. A couple, I think I threw one spinal out. And I don't remember the rest, but it was just a slaughter fest on my side because I'd be like, all right, no blocks, banish top card. All right, here's a bunch of damage. And then I went to Leviah and I, that one actually came down to the wire and Blood Dead ended up killing me, which is, you know, a lot of people call Leviah death and taxes because that's basically it. You're either going to die or you can attack yourself to death with Blood Dead, which yeah. results in death anyway. So... And then after that, he was like, you know, he was like, you cool if I try Kano? I was like, yeah, no problem. And I got bla- uh, Aether Wildfire Blazing Aethered. So it was a good time. I, actually, <laughs> I mean, I had a lot of fun. Pickup games are always fun for me. And then uh, Thursday, I went to the regular armory. And how'd you fare out there? Um, oh, I played Leviah again. It's not my full 
Leviolist yet. I was had ordered cards a week prior, and I hadn't gotten there. And I also forgot to swap my Toma Findle from my Bravo deck into Leviah, so that one wasn't in there. But I still had my Gorganian Tome, which all three games I opened my hand with Gorganian Tome. Oh, so man. I think that was kind of nuts. <laughs> and um, so I first game I played. Um, who did I play in my first game? Oh, I played. Um, I played against a Rhinar. And that game was actually, like, really close. I think I was down to, like, 2-3 health, and they had, like, 8-9 health. So it was a lot closer than I thought it would be. I thought I was just going to get demolished by Reinar. But it turned out better. Um, and then I played a Fi, and, you know, I blocked one or two here, one or two there, and present a ton of damage on my turn, pull a couple cards out of their hand, because now they're starting to block a little bit and I ended up winning that one. I was able to manage my blood debt really well with that one and I think I activated Doomsday in that one too. Hey. No, I, I didn't know. I didn't get Doomsday. Um, No, I think I did get Doom. I don't remember. I think I had Doomsday. I can't fully remember but I do know I towards the end I ended it with an 11 Soul Harvest coming at them. Mm, beautiful. I had five cards in my graveyard with blood debt, and I had, like I think, like six other cards in there that didn't have blood debt, and somehow five of them went into my banish zone, so it was an 11 soul harvest when Phi had low, really low health, so it was threatening lethal at that point. Um, soul harvest says... You know, it's a cost six. It's Leviah's legendary specialization because both of her specializations, for some reason, are legendary. So I can only play one of each. And it says, you know, when you play this, banish six random cards from your graveyard. It gains plus one attack for each card banished this way. If it hits someone with uh, cards in their soul, they lose life equal to cards in their soul. But that part really doesn't matter because nobody really has a soul anymore. Right, you're already so down, so far down that track. Yeah. Is is Soul Harvest legendary? I never noticed that. It's I I think I've been running an illegal Shiana deck. Do you have two Soul Harvest in there? <laughs> yeah, I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's legendary Leviathan specialization. That kind of irritates me. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I never took it to any like official big events. Um, so that's that's good. I don't feel as bad. I've only played it at games where there's not really stakes, but I'll have to change that. <laughs> so, and then game, uh, round three, I played Dromai. It was a newer player, um, and he did the best thing against Levia when I'm occurring blood debt early and managing it well early block out because eventually I'm not going to be able to manage my blood debt. So it got to the point where I had 11 blood debt and finally I couldn't manage it. And three turns I was dead. Yeah. Yeah. That part is brutal. Like I think most, if not all of my wins against Leviah have been them dying to blood debt. That's the thing. Like, I feel like I'm starting to be able to manage it really well. You know, I look at my hand and I go, okay, what can I do here to manage it like better? 
what can I do here? If I block with this, what can I do here? Look up a graveyard. All right, I have a good chance of banishing a six here. That'll get my blood dead out. Um, the one nice thing is, you know, I got my second beast within as well. So, um, so that can turn, that'll shut off my blood debt when it hits. But, you know, all in all, they were good games. I had a lot of fun. I can't have a bad time at an armory for fun. So I can't have a bad time playing this game, really. No, you really, really can't. Not in my opinion. Anyway. So, Derek, what was the announcement made this week that you were real excited about? We've got the first couple teases of what the next uh, the next standalone set will be. We got Outsiders. We are going to the pits. And the art reveal is someone swinging on like a, a wire with what looks like a brain-shaped flamethrower. Uh, and I am so stoked because the pits are crazy and we actually have a card name for that art too yes wreak havoc uh which is interesting i i really want it to be this sets uh like it seems like every set has had a two cost do something majestic uh in generic yeah, uh, everything since Wrath, I think. But I want that to be able to be shoved into every deck, just for that art. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, it, it. The art is just absolutely amazing. So this is the first set of the year 2023. It is a draftable set, um, which means we get what two draftable one. Last year we had. Is it two draftable and one supplemental per year, or does it vary? They're trying to do two and two at at current. Okay. Because uh, this past year we got both Everfest and Dynasty, uh, Aria and Uprising, as our uh, supplementals and then our drafts. And so the drafts that they said this one, normally it has like what three to four heroes. And then you're able to you're able to take a box of the set, get what is it eight players together? Each give each player three packs. You open the first pack, pick a card, pass the pack to your left, and pick that till that packs out and continue through three. Draft a deck, and that's how you play it. That's how you can play it. Right? Sound correct? Yes. Yes, that is that is all right. Uh, but they've said they're they're adding some interesting things to the draft experience this time around. They haven't said what it is, uh, but they they mentioned something about a new draft dynamic because uh, we know they were they were experimenting in uprising with uh, the token cards that anybody could add to their decks. Oh yeah, uh, Helios Miter and the Phoenix Flames. Uh, so we're thinking that it's going to be something along those lines. Interesting. This is it's definitely it's so it's so early on that we have a lot to speculate about. I believe they said spoiler. Um, we get more info on it end of January. I forget what the date was. I want to say it was January 9th or tenth. Was it ninth or tenth? I thought it was the end of sure. January. Um, 
And then in like mid-March is when the pre-releases start. So it's definitely going to be an exciting time. Um, uh, they said, I was told James White has confirmed that Azalea is going to be in Outsiders as a hero. Ooh, okay. First, uh, first repeat in a draftable set hero. Honestly, that's perfectly fine with me. I was hoping she would be back in it. Same. Um, so we're going to the pits. The pits has the entrance, which is known as the Maw. Um, they have smugglers, mercenaries, assassins, traders, and apothecaries, as well as gangs, which they have the Freak Show, Torch, Numbskulls, Jawbreakers and Blockheads. And Rin, I was reading through this. I was like, oh, this could be a brute. Oh, this could be a brute. Or maybe this right, is a everything brute. Everything rang brute. <laughs> <laughs> what if the what if the interesting draft dynamic is that it is four brute classes? Azalea is a brute now. Uh, and it is just <laughs> pick your talent. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the craziest set. I think brute players would live for that. And the one thing I was reading is, so we got Arachne, who is known as the Spider, but the Spider is also an order of assassins, according to what the pit set, what it says on the lore page. So, is Arachne the leader of the Spiders, or he might just be a member? Because uh, his his border is that he's from the pits. Uh, so we we know he's from there. So probably that's what's going on. Uh, but we got to find out. It, is he the leader? Yeah. And if so, is he getting a repeat card? I doubt that. Maybe a more, not like we, so we have Arachne Huntsman. Maybe he becomes like the leader of the spider. And that's the hero we get is like, Arachne, you know, something. Instead of Huntsman, it's Arachne this. And he's in it, but he has a, maybe a little bit different, you know, ability. Or maybe he actually has an ability on top of the looking at the contract stuff. Or maybe he doesn't have that anymore. You know, it's all of this part. This is the fun part is we get to speculate. Right. Because one of the things that uh, I've been talking about with some of the people in the Arachne chat is... We don't know, since we know so little about um, about assassins, is is contract an assassin mechanic, or is contract an arachne mechanic? Uh, like we've gotten so much uh, warrior support across the uh, from monarch to uh, the supplementals. But we haven't really seen Reprise again. Yeah, that is so true. So Reprise is kind of a Dorinthia mechanic. You know, it coincides with Warrior. But that's her thing. Because uh, she's here playing the mind games. That's not what Bolton does. He can lean into that some. But his strongest decks are going to lean into the light side too. You want the so, charging and the Lumina on him more. Right. So we got to find out if we're getting another assassin, which... Uh, kind of sounds like we are. Then we'll learn more about it. We'll figure out. Okay, is this about? Uh, it was the primary mechanic, the uh, 
the banishing cards? Or was that side Arachne's thing? Who or, knows? Or maybe we might not even get just a plain assassin. Maybe it might be a dual class assassin with something else. It's really possible. I, I would love to see a dual class assassin. I, I think I would be a little bit sad. Uh, because I would probably immediately put down Arachne for whatever that was, so that I can have insert an attack in class with go again, followed by a zero for four, hey, I'm going to eat your deck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see, because it also depends on what it's mixed with, because that would not mesh well with, like, Assassin Brute. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you're not going to have those six cost, those six power attacks to discard to it. Uh, but I, I think as much as I want to see a dual class, uh, the the page for the emperor uh, on the on the official site heavily implied that he is the only one capable of wielding two classes. So we probably won't see uh, many, if any, uh, other dual classes. Or, you know, the Emperor is dead, so someone has to learn from him. And maybe they took his knowledge. Or maybe Arachne took the knowledge the Emperor had back down to the pits, and now people are now dual classing. We never know. Maybe he maybe Arachne's a wizard now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so with this, I asked the question, or I guess it's more of not a question. It's a discussion topic. You know, let your brain soar here. I said, you know, you've just been commissioned to create a hero for outsiders, but there are three catches. It has to be an upgrade for an already existing hero. The weapons have to come along in with them in the set. So on their hero page on flesh and blood, when it says weapon, it will say this weapon or weapons belongs to them. That way, when they L living legend out and move out of the format, once they get enough points, these weapons go with them. And it has to be a boss monster like Starvo was. I want someone that's going to hit living legend quickly. You know, so um, I'm going to start with the Two that I actually got back on Reddit, and then we can move into ours. So, we got a Kasai from the one guy, which I know Kasai is not really from the pits, but we discussed this before starting. She kind of looks like a wanderer, and she's a mercenary, so there's a chance she could always end up in the pits. Um, right, she can show up anywhere, because we've, we've seen uh, heroes that aren't from a particular place showing up in that set. Uh, like, in Uprising. Icelander, uh, she's not from Volhor. Yeah. Uh, she's from Arya. So this person, and they made it a Kasai. It was a, this is an adult. It is the inf infamous mercenary with 40 HP, 40 intellect. Um, Do you mean four? <laughs> four intellect? Yes. <laughs> Draw your whole deck at the start of the turn, yes. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. 40 HP, four intellect. Um... The ability says destroy four copper you control, draw a card. Um, so first off, instead of cop you paying 
four resource to destroy a copper and draw a card. This one lets you automatically lets you destroy four copper and draw a card. Now I can see a little bit of a clash with that there because it kind of hurts a big blood on her hands turn, but yeah. but it's not the only thing it does. It says your sword attacks cost one less this turn, so it is a draw and courage of blade hold in one on a hero ability. Right. So it's like yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, now since I. I assume this one doesn't have the standard Kasai making copper when you hit stuff. They, they didn't say anything about that. It just says that. So it's going to, yeah, you're going to have to some, maybe this set would put cards that say, you know, on hit that give the swords more on hit draw copper. Right. Cause like I, I'm hoping that this set has a little bit to do with copper, uh, but we'll get to that too. Right. He did. They did give me a weapon. Um, it is Blazing Blade one-handed. It is a one-cost to attack. Whenever you attack with Blazing Blade, if Blazing Blade was your last attack on the combat chain, it Blazing Blade gains plus two attack and overpower until end of turn. This is coming from one underscore add two six three four on Reddit. Interesting. I like it. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of like it. It seems pretty powerful um, to be able to couple those those swords with a, a two four, basically uh, at at its weakest for free off of destroying the copper. Um, and to give your first one go again, you're going to need to give it a buff of some sort. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, they can use the quicksilver that that classic blue zero cost reaction uh, attack reaction to give go again and has that reprise of if they've defended with a card from hand you draw a card too i think that's one of the only uh attacks that gives uh that. Blade, a couple others blade runner i believe does it doesn't it say target yeah, one-handed yeah i i always forget about blade runner i was just gonna say run through which is the two-handed <laughs> uh blade runner but yeah, I, I don't run the one-handed weapons on, on Dorinthia. I really should try. I've heard Saber Dagger is going well. Uh, but that's a different discussion. Yeah, I, I think it sounds really strong. I would be interested to see something like it. I want to see more use of this uh, this overpower mechanic that we got in Dynasty. So I would be excited to see that come back. Uh, I, I like that it's got some workarounds that basically demand people are going to drop defense reactions to a big attack uh it's pretty cool there yeah that's uh honestly like, i really like it with you know the possibility of cards that could get added to help it out or is just amazing um i think it's a good card or i mean a good uh hero creation it's you know wasn't fully in-depth but it's short sweet to the point we i got what i wanted yeah, no, absolutely. That's that is a solid, uh, solid commission bit. <laughs> and we got a another one, I believe. The name is Chico Kuman. I am not a hundred percent sure I even pronounced that right. If <laughs> you listen to this and I pronounced it wrong, I apologize. Um, this one is a dash, and it says dash trash to treasure. Um, 
that is a shadow mechanologist. So this one okay. we got we got shadow added. Um mechanologist items you own in all zones have blood debt. So oh. automatically there's a downside right off the bat. Right. Once per turn action, three cost, put a mechanologist item from your banish zone into the arena, go again. Ooh, that's a really good payoff. That is nice because now when you're boosting, if you banish an item, it doesn't hurt. You Granted, you're going to have blood debt on it, but now you could do a nice big boost chain and then at the end, get three cost, bring an item out. And now it's there for the next turn. And the way I'm thinking this dashes probably would play is it's going to go straight um, at your face. You're It's going to present a bunch of damage all turn because it doesn't want to take as much blood debt over the time. It wants to get you done as quick as possible. And they also did give us a weapon on this one, too. Okay. Let's, we got, let's hear that weapon. We got a beam shooter, which is a shadow mech pistol. So only this dash can use it. And it's actually kind of the same as the plasma pistol but it is a little different uh you remove a steam counter and attack with it once per turn action one cost if there's no steam counter put a steam counter on cool basic love it gives it's a little higher than a plasma pistol it has three attack but when it hits you opt to oh that is really powerful that's kind of cool. Like that I could, I, I like the design a lot. Uh, that feels like a majestic weapon for sure. That's something that should have been in the war room where they got all the weapons from. Right. That's pretty cool. That's what I've, you know, they did a really good job on this. You know, we yeah. got a couple other submissions for this. Um, they were good, but they weren't what I was feeling a lot. There was a couple that just felt like upgrades, which they were upgrades, but they weren't a boss monster. And I got a really good uh, Prism one that was submitted, but I don't think Prism is going to be in the pits, but I do have it saved. So if we ever go back to Solana, we're going to talk about it. I, I think my favorite part about that dash design is it is inclusive of the old equipment, right? Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't let you get away with using that ability to grab the old equipment and just play generic dash, but like, like talentless dash, but better. Mm -hmm. Since it's adding that blood debt to all of the items, no matter what your build is, that's that's what you're going to run into. Or even just you, like, you, what items are we could we see that are new that could be just shadow mech items or just a shadow item? Right. Like we could just have shadow items. Uh, now the shadow items would not, if they didn't have the mechanologist tag, they wouldn't trigger boost. So I don't know that they'd use it. But True. I think that's a, a really cool design space. And that's something I would absolutely love to see. Uh, I, I think I would also like to see a little bit of that, uh, a little bit of the shadow brute treatment there of give something to force those blood debt cards in your graveyard back into your banish. Yeah. It would kind of long game help dash keep recurring those, those items. Uh, 
but it would also force you to deal with the blood debt a little bit more. What if the shadow mech, uh, like, so like, what if there's a shadow mech attack and it's uh, for boosting, it has, um, I don't know what you could call it, but instead of doing it off the top of your deck, you one random card from the graveyard. If it is a shadow mech item that gains go again, or a shadow mech card, it gains go again. See, I, I th- almost would want to do uh, a little bit of both, right? Add add boost and also a new mechanic of, like, you can, you can optionally use this to banish a random card from your graveyard. So not it's uh, not like Shadow Brute where if they don't have anything in their grave, it's dead in hand at that point. It's you can either boost or do something with your grave kind right. of thing. Okay. Uh, or, or both on some of the stronger cards. Uh, so you have to do both, and it has to be both. Like, so, like, it would have to be both of them. Banish would have to be a shadow or a mech item to give it go again, kind of thing. Well, I was thinking like an, like an added benefit. Like, okay. it has boost as a separate ability. So if you wanted to just use it as a space boost, you could uh, to get the standard flip a mechanologist card into your banish zone, great, you get go again. But also add something like, I'll call it like nitrous or something. Um, and what about salvage? It, You're salvaging something from the graveyard to be able to reuse it. That that could be good. Uh, but it... I, to me, it wouldn't really fit with what I had as like the end result of it, oh. of like adding power, you know, because that that shadow side is about getting yeah extra power for that higher risk. Because if you add, if you end up doing more of those than you can, and you rebanish all of your mechanologist items uh, that now have blood debt for you, then you kind of went in a little bit too deep into the deep end. Yeah. And look, look at you. Now you're bleeding out. <laughs> I like it though, because it adds a whole extra layer of you having to control stuff now, like Leviah adds to, right. Not only are you trying to control the game that's going on in front of you, you got to control yourself and not let yourself succumb to the wounds that you've gotten. Right. It's, it's a very, I I always really enjoyed the shadow decks because you have to have control and like a little bit of prediction, right. Mm -hmm. In what you're going to do to get your optimal turns off and not bleed out (laughs) or in Shane's case, not deck yourself. Yeah. So that's definitely cool. So I also tasked you with this, and what'd you come up with for me? So I, I figured I would go ahead and pick a little bit of a dark horse, uh, people that or someone that people forget exists. So I have come up with, uh, and the name's probably not great, but Cavdane, Toxitician, oh, uh, an alchemist hero. Oh, I like it. Uh, so this is a little bit why I wanted, like I, I mentioned earlier, I want Copper to come back if my Cavdane would be around. Uh, so 
I I wanted this a little bit as the uh when I first heard we were getting assassin, I was really hoping we were going to get something that applies afflictions. And I think Cavdane as an alchemist would apply afflictions because they they teased this new mechanic with uh with Icelanders affliction cards and then we didn't see it again. I was hoping to see one or two in Dynasty, we didn't. Uh but that is what I'm kind of thinking my uh my Cavdane alchemist idea would be built around. You set up with these potions that would you know you would activate it, your next attack can apply this uh this particular poison. Uh and the hero ability that I've given him, uh, I, I did make him a twenty forty on life and four intellect. Okay. Uh, I gave it a once per turn action, uh, one resource, destroy a copper you control. Uh, your next attack this turn gains when this hits a hero, create a toxic token under their control. You have go again. Uh, and those toxic tokens would be afflictions with something like at the end of your turn, Lose a life. Okay. So just kind so of basic, I, you know, what toxic sounds like. You're, you know, you're sick. You're losing health at that point. Sound, you know, sounds great. Right. Uh, so I was thinking you would have things like that and kind of build them as a, like a baby mid-range, um, like almost guardian-ish, uh, where those, like those crush effects are better, uh, instantly but the long game of these afflictions that you'd be stacking onto people is what this cavdane would go for now I, I think it would also require like some of the generic cards or uh maybe some of the alchemist cards themselves would have a payoff for uh for copper because uh, on the hero itself i didn't give him an ability to generate that copper um uh, but probably he should get something along those lines so that that way, you know, you can free up that design space for Alchemist uh, to not have to be reliant on this additional resource. Yes. And also, the one nice thing we do have, it's not the best card in my opinion, but we at least do have High Striker that we could play to generate copper if needed. Right. And in a deck like this that also cares about on hits, uh, even the even like every every color in the rainbow for high striker uh that would make it a big threat because even hitting with the blue uh which gives your next attack uh on hit to copper uh that's pretty big in this deck because then you would get two opportunities to give someone toxic and yeah. so the the kind of idea would be you could build around making this toxic mechanic. You know, you land one high striker even in yellow, that's your next four turns paid for. Yeah, high striker is on hit, create six for the red, four for the yellow, two for the blue, correct? Yes. Cost zero, which is actually kind of insane. It's like, it's, it's pretty good because it's, there are very few things currently that care about uh, that care about copper, mm-hmm. right? It's basically, basically Kasai right now, yep. I believe. It's basically Kasai and Cashian. 
because you can still pay for a cup or to pay for cash in. But right. that was that was kind of my idea. I envisioned him having like a, a crossbow with poison tips Ooh. Uh, as his weapon. I didn't really have a like a, a vision on exactly what it would do, uh, but maybe just something as simple as you know two or three costs to fire it, uh, and it has uh, two power. And on hit, your opponent's next attack has one less power. Okay, so it's uh, basically so on hit, it's a this round's on me. A little no, baby no. one, just just for one attack. Uh, yeah, because my my thought is without like one of the reasons assassin gets away with being that that mid range hero so well is those recurring one-block armors helps you get around that four-power breakpoint. Because uh, without using a defense reaction, you're not going to be defending for four. Yeah. So you're either letting one damage through or you're giving up two cards. Uh, so something like this would help encourage, would, would help you play around that four-power breakpoint uh, on those, on those matchups. Okay, I like it. And in the late game, uh, because I hate Kadachis so much, <laughs> it stops one Kadachi. <laughs> it also stops the spider bite too. It sure does. I like it. I, it, I, I really like it. And or even like against Stromai, it turns a uh, mirror guy from a four to a three, which makes that a one block too. You Same know? with Kyloria. Uh, now, Wait, no, the, the obvious... That's what I was thinking of. Kyloria. I don't know why I thought Mirror Guy. <laughs> there are too many dragons to remember. <laughs> um, I, I think she wouldn't care so much about it because you would just throw an Ashwing first, right? Uh-huh. Um, but still, if Kyloria is their only dragon, then yeah, you, you get away with it. Um, but that's... I, I've been falling in love with that that mid range gameplay, so that's kind of where I went with it. Now, I I did miss that part of the assignment where you said uh, make it that that Starvo level. They're going to hit LL. I I don't think my design's going to go there right uh, without some crazy card support. Honestly, I like it though because you brought back a hero that hasn't even seen play that I would know of because. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to play him when you can even just play Genus as a merchant? Uh, he only really saw play uh, before Genus existed. And now everybody that had a Kevdane deck that I'm aware of dropped him for Genus. Um. What and did you brew up for us? Are you ready for this? I know you this? have something cooked. I do. Um, so I took, this is before I heard about James White announcing, but I took Azalea. And this is Azalea Striker of Fear, 4 intellect, 40 health, a Shadow Ranger Assassin. Okay, so you did go into that, that I, dual class I and, did. you know, that, that big... That big card pull from having Shadow on there too oh, yeah. is really going to lean into that uh, that Bravo star of the show. But she does have a drawback on her, and we'll get to that. So first, I actually did the weapons. 
Um, I gave her an assassin weapon, which is red ledgers, which are one handed daggers base. Go again. I didn't really do power to them. I just, you know, I just threw out what I thought they would be. So we got red ledgers, which is a thing back to her one specialization red in the ledger. So, so do they end up with the, the same power? Cause that would be busted. It's definitely not the same power. Um, okay. <laughs> Like I said, I'm not sure what power I would make them. I just thought, okay, one-handed dagger, base go again. Um, okay. Which is still good, because mm-hmm. if that's the assassin weapon that, that she would get, you know, if if spider bites are going to be the norm for assassin weapons, having a like vaguely debilitating on hit that you might not hear about or care about, but you could. Uh, really interesting for decision making right yep so and then i have a shadow ranger bow so only she's able to use the bow it's called death whistle which goes back to her other specialization knock the death whistle this one has an ability once per turn action oh no this is her ability i'm sorry and of course the the bow would be a two-handed bow i don't know what it would do it would do something obviously i didn't go that far into it um, her ability is once per turn action, switch the stance Azalea is in. She gains abilities based on her stance. Go again. Okay. And it, did you have an idea for what those stances are? Oh, I do. I can prepare right. for that one. So you're probably wondering, what are the stances? Well, the stance is, one, is rogue, which would be the assassin part. It says equip assassin weapons from weapon arsenal. Return ranger weapon from equipment to weapon arsenal if equipped. And when you do this, you may return up to two arrow cards from your hand to the bottom of the deck. Draw two cards. Go again. Then it also says, if a weapon attack hits this turn, create a on-the-hunt token. Okay. I'm adding a new Uh whole mechanic in here with weapon arsenal. And switching weapons and stances. Now, now I think it's going to be... I'm interested, but as as soon as I heard Weapon Arsenal, my brain said, so Command and Conquer is $200 now, right? No. Because you can just shatter their weapons. No, so my thought process on this was, it's not like an Arsenal spot. My thought process is, like, I didn't want to call it, like, Satchel or whatever. It's just, like, where they can put the arsenal, like, away in, like, her back and she can switch what she needs. I just thought weapon arsenal because, you know, she's arsenaling it for later. It doesn't count for, like, Command and Conquer. It doesn't count as an arsenal spot. You know, it's just, it's there. Instead of pulling it out of your deck, instead of, like, pulling it out of your um, side, like, Taylor would do it's it's always there so you can see what's you know what they're switching from okay um and it on, wouldn't give them full reign to just like rapid switch a bunch of things basically yeah you can only once per turn i see switch the reason i gave it the return two arrow cards from your hand to the bottom of the deck you're putting them on the bottom basically I, it's like a small mulligan kind of thing where if and it's up to two. So if you had one, you can replace it. That way, the arrow, if you don't want it, it's not stuck in your hand. Where Because my thought process was, if she switches to Rogue, she might be bricked by, 
you know, an arrow in her hand or, but I'm like, why would they switch to rogue if they have multiple arrows? But I just gave it that mechanic. Um, Which is still really good because that helps set up a, like a post game, like a, like a second cycle state uh where you're, you're going to be placing those arrows purposefully on the bottom, uh, which is helpful now and later. I really love that. So you could start the game as a rogue and play as the rogue for a while. And then once you hit late game, you switch to a ranger. And my thought process also in this was, you know, guardians and illusionists are two of the better ones in late game. Let's give them some threat. Exactly. So so on, on the hunt token says cards that would cause you damage. That that would cause you to take damage, do that much damage minus one until end of turn. So not only attacks, it also applies to wizards because my I was like, all right, if I only make this attacks, it's going to be basically useless against wizards. So it puts a little bit more behind these because obviously the daggers aren't going to attack for a lot. They're going to attack for one, maybe two. But it puts a little bit more behind the dagger attacks where you're not just going to say, okay, I take them. You're going to have to think about, okay, maybe I should, shouldn't should take them. Right. Because that's going to get you, like, that's just going to be a, a killer against go-wides. Mm-hmm. You're going to be forcing them to block every turn. Because that, that dagger, that that does sound like the, the on the hunt's going to give it the... That little baby, uh, uh, this round's on me, of minus one to everything. Yes. And if she plays, it doesn't say weapon, it just says weapon you control. So she could play Spider Bite, pay two, attack for one, on hit, gets the on a hunt token, plus attack action cards, defend for one less. Right. And with the ability to switch the uh, those gears out, uh, there would theoretically be nothing stopping you from having a spider bite and a red in the ledger mm-hmm. or red ledger. So, you know, like I said, I'm thinking, okay, you might be overpowered, but I'm like, all right, this is a starvo. I'm trying to like starvo overpower her. Right. So that was the assassin side. Um, on the ranger side, you know, just, you know, it's obviously switch. If an arrow hits this turn, Cards and abilities cost your opponent one more resource next turn. Arrows can be arsenaled face up from Banish Zone during the end of your turn. So, my thought process there was, okay, what if an arrow gets banished somehow with something? She can arsenal it face up at the end of the turn. And it doesn't say your arsenal, it just says arsenaled. So she Interesting. Can, she can play New Horizon. She can play Black Tex. And then she can also... So I'm thinking New Horizon, Black Tech for the head and the foot. Maybe a tunic in the middle. Or or a carrion husk. Because she is right. shadow. Depending on the matchup. And then Hit for, that fridge. I don't know what she would do in arms. That's completely up to you. This feels like it's another one of those decks where I feel like uh, arms is an okay slot to just leave kind of dead, right? Mm-hmm. I, I am of the opinion that not every class should get like top tier in slot equipment. Like, 
Warrior kind of already snuck in there. Uh, Warrior's got something great everywhere. Even if it is just like refraction vultures being common, it's uh, it's so pretty really good. good in slot. Um, I would kind of hate to see a day, and I know we'll get there, where every slot for every hero and every class has a legendary item, like a legendary piece of armor, right? Because uh, that is going to be something that is going to drive up the cost to start up as a new player. Because uh, one of the things that almost got me to to stop when I first started uh, was sitting down against an opponent uh, with, at, at that point, I wasn't using any legendaries because I, I, I had one for a class I wasn't playing. Um, and then sit down and see, like, against a Dorinthia, see, like, okay, you've got you've got the Valiant Dynamos, you've got the Courage Blade Hold, you've got the uh, Brave Forge Bracers, you've got Arcanite Skullcap. You know, they, they were just rocking everything. Uh, and I'm sitting here, and I've got Bark Bones, I've got <laughs> Snapdragons. Not bad armor, but in most situations, not as good as a legendary. Oh, definitely not. And that is intimidating when you're like, oh, how much did that that run you? And they, they point at one piece, like one of those cards, and say it's 100 plus. Uh, as, as someone new to the game, like especially when I started, I didn't really have expendable income. I had, I had like a little bit of play money, but that was it. Uh, I couldn't afford to go out and buy those. Uh, that that was just not in the budget. Uh, so at that time, I just decided myself, yeah, I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be budget only. You know, stick to Blitz because uh, that's you know I don't need a lot of money to to play Blitz. Uh, and that's what I would hate to see happen to to have that new player experience be muddled by walls of legendary equipment that they've got to overcome. And like, especially as things start going out of print, now the history packs help a little bit with it. Yeah. And Everfest also kind of helps because you do have the chance at the skull cap in it. Right. I, I think my favorite part about these supplemental sets is the, the kind of off brand, majestic uh slots that yeah. they're that they're putting out there like a lot of them are like you know we know you'd like tectonic but here's a baby tectonic if you play different with the earth war bounty yeah High, higher floor or higher ceiling lower floor and it's, i remember my first armory when I played against you, you checked to see how many, if I had any legendaries at the time, which I did. I had my tunic and Providence saw because I got lucky pulls, and that's how many you put against me. And I honestly, I kind of appreciated that because I was just like, all right, this game isn't going to be a blowout one sided or the other. Right? Is that like I? I am someone who's very conscious of the new player experience. I. I want people to love this game and the number of people who 
I've I've heard of playing like trying any new game, not just Flesh and Blood. Uh, if you have a bad first experience, you're probably not going back. You know? Yeah. Whether that's because you know maybe you didn't understand the rules well enough going in, and your opponent wasn't will, like willing to work with you and teach you. Uh, your opponent wasn't willing to play a little slower, so you had time to learn the game, and they just wanted to get the win and move on. Uh, that happens in all sorts of games. Yep, I remember it in Yu-Gi-Oh! Very first time I ever went to a locals, uh, very first person I sat down against, this was when uh, Firewall was still unbanned. It had Gumblar, so they made a U-Link, which took up both extra monster zones, and it had where I couldn't play and they made me discard my entire hand and then just basically killed me my next turn. That right. was my very first game. And that is a terrible, terrible experience to have as your first game. Like I had something similar the first time I went to go play uh, in person Magic the Gathering. Cause I, I, I really only kind of got in got back into it. I should say. Uh, right around the lockdowns, uh, which was really unfortunate timing. Uh, but my my first in person game was at a an event that was labeled as Casual Commander, <laughs> um, and this is one of those moments where you register that uh, everybody has a very different idea of what Casual is, um, because to one of my opponents, Casual was not winning by turn two. Um, and part of this goes to show like how, how fun the people there were, uh, cause the, my first and second games that I played in, uh, they both registered partway through the game. Like, Oh, I am playing way above the pay grade of these people's decks. Uh, and in in both situations, uh, they could have had the win, and they decided to give it to a different player instead. They just slightly changed their play line to say, "Hey, you new person, you're the winner. Enjoy that." <laughs> and like that's the kind of stuff why I stuck around playing Magic, because yeah, I was outclassed, but. They, they were conscious of the new player experience. Yeah. They were still good people, even though they misjudged what casual meant. And that's one thing I give our locals a really high like praise on, is the new player experience we try to provide is great. And not anybody is like really you know mean or they try, have to win. It's, you know, they, you know, we play, they answer any questions people may have, you know. We help people out, and it's just all around a good time each week. It is so much fun there, and hopefully I'll be uh, coming a lot more in the new year. <clears throat> hopefully you can get there sometime in December and get your shitty Xmas gifts. God, I need them so much. Like <laughs> I, I very nearly ordered them already. <laughs> I, I got two out of three so far, so I just need one more. I'm hoping to just have as many as possible. <laughs> All right. Um, 
You got anything else you want to talk about? You hit a lot of stuff in this podcast today. I I don't really think so. Um, I, I think we hit just about everything I, I really wanted to. Um, I I did... Actually, that's that's not true. There was one other thing that I was... My, my little bit of speculation for what the new draft dynamic for uh, for outsiders could be. All right, lay it on me. Uh, so me and you have been wanting this for a long time, uh, ever since it was confirmed that we were getting PVE. <sighs> so my thought was, oh, what if there's PVE drafting? Ooh, it would be a good way to like make sure that the the decks weren't just blowouts against whatever like enemy deck was was coming at you whatever like however they structure the opposing side so you could draft and in in a pve draft you could kind of declare ahead uh hey i i would like to run you know in like the the azalea and if the people that you were drafting alongside of, like your teammates, as long as they could, they would avoid taking the Azalea cards. Ooh, this um, this is that's a good theory. I like it. Now, the the thing that's you know better about this being structured as a draft is nobody would feel like they were kind of kind of shafted on like card count mm-hmm. if there ended up being like the the way the draft sets are designed it should be like you know this this exact number or roughly this many of each class and roughly this many of each talent but it would still hit a point where you have to prioritize your own deck functioning so you would have to like fight a little bit over those those blue generics yeah if if your in class blues didn't show up you're you're gonna need the blue generics so there's gonna be a little bit of that like drafting pack order matters pack pick order matters because you're not gonna have time to talk over like okay this pack has exactly these cards who's getting what yeah because well, you only have thirty minutes to draft, I believe. So I think so. You have to, you know, you have to declare, and you also while you're also sharing stuff with everybody else, you also have, like you said, you have to think about yourself on the generics. The only thing I'm curious about is so drafting's eight man pods, and we have possibly, excuse me, four heroes. How would that work? If so my my thought would be just more generic. Uh, I'm kind of thing. Well, I, I'm just assuming everybody is going to have, uh, like a, a PVE pod is going to be four people. Is okay. my assumption. Uh, but there's nothing really stating that your that your draft pod has to be eight people. True. If they're reformatting it for uh, this possibility, then maybe this is what you get. That's very you know, true. You, you split the pods into four, like two pods of four from one box, and everybody still gets the those same three packs. 
You just get now a decent-sized deck out of that. Like a right. better deck. Now, that leaves the the kind of rough spot of, you know, what if one half of the of the draft pod, like the one group of four, ends up with all the Majestics and all the, the Legendaries, and the other party just, just gets rares? Uh, it'd be a bummer. Statistically unlikely to happen, but... It, it was a theory I had, and it would be a good place to do it, because with all these different factions at play in in the pits, you could pretty easily have like a, a couple of different like scenarios. That's definitely right? true, yeah. Or the blockheads could be like... So like in the pits, it says about the blockheads... It says the blockheads favor melee weapons using clubs, bats, and hammers to crush their opponents. They're obsessed with brute force, and all members of this gang are tall, broad-shouldered, and built like a tank. So first, the first time I read this, I'm like, that's a brute. I literally went, that's brute. Almost 10 years ago, they took control of an entire sector of the Maw, eliminating a number of smaller gangs to claim their territory. They've controlled the sector with with an iron fist ever since. So maybe one of the routes you could take in this PvE is, oh... We got to dethrone the blockheads from this area and take back what is rightfully ours. Which would be a lot of fun. Definitely. So yeah, I really um, like your idea on that. You know what? I've I've just determined that uh what you what you said just now of like going against the blockheads uh there's no need to split into two pods of four. You pre-split into teams of four, uh, like likely alternating players. Mm-hmm. So, like your seat one is going to be team one, uh, seat two is going to be team two, and so on and so forth. And then you are PVE, like you're still doing the splitting into PVE pods, but you're racing the clock. You're on different factions, so like one could be the uh, the the blockheads on on defense defending their territory. Ooh, I like that. And the other could be whatever other faction on offense, and the first to to steal or protect whatever. Okay, I like it. I like it. Because then you like, yeah, you could say. I, I want to be the Azalea, but what if you're surrounded by, like, the, the person to your right is also drafting Azalea, and you realize that, and all of the good cards are going missing. You have to switch your your uh, your draft mindset, just like in a regular draft. Mm-hmm. You'll still keep those same skills uh, that are important for drafting, which would help you for when you go into PvP drafting, but... Uh, could do it in a little bit friendlier of an environment. Yeah, I definitely like that idea. Um, this has honestly been a really uh, great episode, in my opinion. Um, it's uh, we like basically doubled our time from last week, but we talked about <laughs> a lot this episode. Listen, I'm just so stoked for outsiders. It's, uh, oh, it's gonna be so fun, and. I don't think their dynasty was stoking, but it wasn't that like 
after stuff, there's some things that were revealed. It was like, oh my gosh, like when Arachne got revealed and all that. But then there's also a lot of stuff in it that it would have got revealed. It was just like, meh. Right. Or is this? Uh, it's like, oh, give right me now, something. since we haven't had our hopes and dreams dashed, we're <laughs> all dreams and hopes. Yeah. So all we have right now to go on is imagination. And that's sometimes the most fun part. And I've got too much of that. So, <laughs> um, well, to end one of the things to end this, I do want to thank the 20 listeners we got last week. And I know to some people might be like, you know, 20 listeners, that's not a lot. Well, honestly, that's a good amount for me, in my opinion, on our very first ever episode. Um, it was a lot more than I expected. I was only expecting like a sin- single digit number, like maybe five to nine. Um, uh, ev- anybody that gave us feedback, I really appreciate it. Um, we're trying our best. So if you do have any feedback, you know, keep bringing it to us. Uh, we want to try and make this as best as possible for you guys to listen to. And I really appreciate everything. I also appreciate you, Derek, for doing this podcast with me. Of course. Thank you for inviting me to be your co-host. It is a blast as always. Uh, again, yeah, thank you for uh, tuning in anytime that you do. Uh, and I, I believe, what's our, our current count of, of where you can find us? I think I know we're on Spotify. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course here on Zencaster. Yeah, so hopefully uh, we will spread into more places. Uh, but for now, this has been uh, Steel Blade Showtime. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.